Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I don't know many people that intentionally like taking risks. Most of us try to avoid anything risky with everything in us. Now, there are some people that you know that will do everything risky because that's just the way that they like to live. But the majority of us, we we really try to shy away from that. So I'm not talking about necessarily even risks out of ignorance, okay, like what may be a horrible financial gamble or something like that. I'm really talking about intelligent or mission-oriented risks, even risks that Jesus calls us into that we're supposed to be prepared for, most of us shy away from. And something that we probably shy away from even more than risks are change. We really tend to struggle with change, right? Organizations really go through a hard time when change comes about. Churches go through a really hard time whenever change comes about. So within risk-taking and change, I have found, so we're talking specifically about risk-taking and change, I have found that the number one area of discomfort for most churches is when an insider-focused church shifts to become an outsider-focused church. And I'm not even specifically talking about us today as a church, though there are lessons for us to learn. I'm talking more in a general sense, one of the most difficult things, especially if there have been patterns over time for a church to do, is to go from an insider uh, taking, building the, the, the deep relationships that you have within, but then solely focusing on those relationships within in the church, and then kind of missing that there's a world outside of the church that we are supposed to care about, and we are supposed to be seeking to reach. So whenever a church does start to go through the process of becoming an insider, going from an insider-focused church to an outside outsider-focused church, it is something that can be very difficult. So what happens when a bunch of unchurched people that didn't grow up in church start coming to your church and they can't financially give back? So all of a sudden, you may have a lot more people, but not necessarily a really strong increase in giving. What happens when we really, as a community, And as a body of believers, start to confront addiction. Let me tell you, as a a recovering alcoholic and as someone that has worked within a lot of addiction ministries, it's very messy and it's very ugly. And there are things that you have to work with in these kinds of ministry that you don't necessarily have to work with when people give the impression on the outside that they're a little bit more polished, a little bit more clean cut, a little bit more together 
uh, so to speak. What happens when we welcome people without the nice clothes or especially the churchy language? Because I don't know how much some of you can recognize it because maybe you've been in church your entire... You have to take into consideration, and I know that this is something that's probably not considered a lot about me, but I was out of church for 10 years. I despised church and church people for over 10 years. So I'm very familiar with what this looks like to visit a church or to go to a church or to try to maybe even in the workplace talk to a group of people who call themselves Christians. This is something that I'm familiar with. What happens when the insider norms and customs that we have, this is a little sociology for you, the way that we do things, the culture that we have in the church starts to break down. All right, what happens whenever that kind of change actually comes about? I'll tell you what happens. Discomfort. A lot of discomfort. Some people get angry. Some people have an increasing level of anxiety. Some people leave. You know, that's the case often as well. So today we are in the third part of our fall practice. We do this in the spring and in the fall. And in the spring, we talked about scripture. And in the fall, now we're talking about hospitality. So every spring and every fall, if it's your first Sunday here, your first Sunday in this series, what we do is we take a spiritual discipline. One of our core values is formation to become students of Jesus. And we really focus on how Jesus practiced very specific uh, spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to talk about hospitality and the outsider. All right, so our goals for this practice, we want to go over those again. First, and we've talked about this the first three weeks, is for us to become uh, hospitable or us to practice hospitality like Jesus. So in the first three weeks, what we've tried to focus on is specifically your individual or your family's focus on what it means to practice hospitality as a person. Next week, we're going to talk about how our church can practice hospitality toward guests and outsiders. So week four and week five are going to be focused on the church, not us as individuals. And then in the final week, for our church to be seen as a good neighbor by those around us. These are the goals. These are the things that we want to accomplish uh, through this time together. We're going to be in Luke's gospel today, Luke chapter 14, if you want to turn there. We were actually there for just a little while in week one. You could even consider this to be a little bit of an extension from week one with some of the things that we're going to talk about because we hit on the outsider just a little bit. We will next week as well because we know that hospitality has a lot to do with not welcoming people exactly like us, but welcoming the other or the outsider, or people who may be different from us. Luke 14, we're going to look at verses 7 through 14. And this parable is a response to Jesus being invited by a Pharisee to a dinner. And as Jesus, the Son of God, this humble servant, goes to this dinner, he starts to recognize where people and how people are strategically taking the best seats available before they've even given any consideration into who else is there 
or anything else. And you and I would probably do the same thing. When we go a place, we think, how can I get the closest to the most important person here or the most important family here? How can I be the closest to the celebrity? Which seat is going to give me the best view or the most prestige? Or, or maybe even I'll be the closest when the food starts pass, getting passed around. I'll be the closest to getting the food. Those are typically the kinds of things that people recognize. And then Jesus is like, well, wait a minute. These are religious people. So we need to pay very close attention to what's going on. And for Jesus, it's a teachable moment. For Jesus, it's an opportunity to tell a story, and that's exactly what he does. Luke 14, verses 7 through 14 are what we're going to look at uh, today. So starting in verse 7, when he noticed the guests cho choose their places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace, or what's really going to feel like embarrassment, oh, sorry, Matt, you're in the wrong seat. That's for so-and-so. Do you mind to go down to the other end of the table? That's actually where you're supposed to be. So in dis disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place instead, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. When you, then you'll be in an honored presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who are humble, who, hu who humble themselves will be exalted. exalted. He said also to the one that invited them, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. That's what we all do. When we have a party, we invite people that we know. When we have a wedding or some kind of special event, we invite our friends. And often those friends and those people we invite look exactly like us more times than not. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus has a lot to teach us here, and this would have been revolutionary among the Pharisees, they say, who exactly does he think he is? If I can remember correctly, we invited him here. If I can remember correctly, this is the way that this is supposed to go. But instead, Jesus is turning things upside down, and this should be revolutionary to us as well, because this is actually a posture of the way that we do life. So there is a way that we learn to love the outsider. You see, I just don't know if I can do this, or I think I try, but the truth is, let me just tell you something, and I don't see Daryl in here right now, but I went to Daryl's Common Grounds group on Wednesday night, which I highly, highly recommend some of you check out, because we have people in this group from very different walks of life, atheists, agnostics, people who don't believe, and all of a sudden I recognize I used to be in circles with people like this all the time, and how often am I neglecting being in a place like this where I'm actually the one on the defense and things look completely different? 
If you really closely examine your life, the majority of the people that you spend your time around think, act, and look exactly like you, which means that there is very, very little learning that is really going on. So there is a way to prepare ourselves for loving the outsider, and this is spiritually always assuming the lowest place. So whenever you walk into a room, what the majority of you do, especially those of you that are very evangelistic, especially those of you that are just, just on fire and, fire and think that you're supposed to be the one that is changing the world, the way that you walk into a place, we make a mistake when we walk in and we, we assume this posi a position of moral superiority or spiritual superiority. And what we start to do, these people that we're praying for, we start to look at them like they're our project or they're just a project of evangelism as if they're not really a person that sometimes has the ability to teach us some things. If you want to know how spiritual you really are, if you want to know how real your walk really is, if you want to see what it means to practice genuine humility toward the outsider, which Jesus is calling every single person to do. So why do we call this a spiritual discipline? Why do we talk about spiritual formation to become students of Jesus? Because we don't simply want to flip through the Bible and give a little lesson. We want to teach you how to do what Jesus did and what he would do if he were here today. And if he were here today, the, the, the religious peak of his week would not be this moment that we're in right now. It would be how he's spending his time throughout the week and who he is intentionally spending his time around, who he is spending his time worth. So a lot of times people for us, they're a project. We're poor pitiful them. How can we be praying for them? And in worst cases, a lot of times, we teach people, we treat people like they don't belong. Verses 10 and 11 say this, but when you're invited to this, you know, to this dinner, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. If you start at this lowest place, the outcome is going to be different for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And some of you have because you've exalted yourself. Some of you exalted yourself when you walked in this, this building today. And those who humble themselves, these who understand because humility is a key part of biblical hospitality. When you humble yourself, you will then be exalted. This is why when we invite people over to our house, we ask them what they like to eat. You don't like chicken casserole? You might eat it anyway if they say, we love chicken. If you'll make chicken casserole, we'll be there. Who's going to say, well, let's just not make that. They're not all that important. <laughs> Who's going to say that? Nobody. What if people come into your house and not knowing, you know, their kid or, or maybe someone sits in your seat? Are you going to say something about that? If you do, no one should ever come over to your house. But I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be awkward, but that's, that's my seat. Are we going to do that? No. We're going to let them sit wherever they want to. We're going to let them eat first. Whenever, whenever they get up in line, you're our guest. You eat first. This is a posture of humility. And you see, we can't simply understand this posture of humility as a dinner thing. We must understand it instead as a lifestyle thing with everything that we do. You see, Jesus was very intentional about his time with the disciples. 
Jesus was very intentional about his healing ministry. Jesus was very intentional about his time in the synagogue. But Jesus was also very intentional about going through those towns that the disciples wanted to take the long way around. We'll do anything we can to avoid those people. Anything that we can do. So this is one of the reasons I think that the table metaphor is so important all over Scripture. The table has a way of leveling the playing field so that all are seen as equal at the foot of the cross. And this is what it means to practice a posture of humility and to take the lowest seat. Because you see, whenever I walk into a a meeting to, to talk to addicts, or whenever I go into an atmosphere, uh, maybe down at the trailer park or somewhere else where maybe the, the socioeconomic differences are obvious or, or situations like that, I'm not prestigious Pastor Matt. In fact, I'm never that. But I'm just another person that is helping serve. I'm just another person that is trying to pitch in and do my part as well. We don't even tend to like people very often. They'll look for the highest seat they can possibly find. So when we take the lowest seat, this moves us from always having to be the teacher. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. To also having to be the learner. I want you to just think about this for a second. Because I know that some of you have been in this position before. You being the good Christian that you are. You being the wonderful, know so much about the Bible, know so much. You've you just been in church your entire life. How many times have you been in a situation where you've really wanted to lead someone to Jesus? And this person has been very different from you. And as this person has started to speak about their lives, and as this person has started to show you things, they've actually taught you more about Jesus than you could have ever taught them. You ever experienced that? You ever seen the reality of what that actually looks like? It's a a very, very humbling thing. The best theological quote that I can offer you to to demonstrate the importance of loving the outsider says this. It's from a great book on Benedictian Christianity called Radical Hospitality. It says this, the stranger helps us locate our favorite lies. The stranger helps us see the absurd in our culture and in ourselves. The stranger helps us open our eyes. The stranger opens our eyes. And please hear this today. Loving and serving the the insider. I'm sorry, loving and and serving the outsider will teach us a humility that coddling insiders will never be able to teach us. Loving and serving the outsider, the person that doesn't look like you, the person that is in desperate need of this Jesus that you're talking about will teach you more humility than coddling insiders can ever teach us. Now, this doesn't mean that insiders are not important. This doesn't mean that discipleship is not important. This doesn't mean that fellowship is not important. Of course, these things are important. But what happens when we completely close ourselves off? I think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I think you know what what I'm talking about when we conveniently sometimes step away from situations, from conversations, from relationships 
with people that are not exactly like us. Where are you spiritually in your life today? Who are the people that you spend your time with? Who are the people that you are seeking in your life? Also notice that inviting the outsider provides the blessing of receiving nothing in return. And this is so important as far as humility is concerned. Inviting the outsider provides the blessing of receiving nothing in return. We talked about this a little bit in the context of Matthew 25 in the first week. So what does that mean? What is the blessing? What does it mean to be a blessing if we are receiving nothing in return? Verses 12 through 14 say this. He said also to the one that had invited him. I'm not just going to pick on the people that have been invited. I'm also going to talk to this host for just a second is what Jesus is saying. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you could be repaid. Well, Bob, it was wonderful you invited this, me to this wonderful thing. Next week, my house, make sure you're there. Make sure you bring the family. We're going to take the boat out. It's going to be exactly like what we did here, but it's going to be even better. When well, a situation like that, Jesus says that you can be repaid. But when you give a banquet, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. The blessing of receiving nothing in return will be the best blessing that some of you ever receive and the most important thing that you ever experience. Because you see, this is a thing. We think we've got it all figured out. We think because we're American Christians, we understand what it's all supposed to look like. And what is the position that we find ourselves in when we try to invest in people that can't repay us? We're Americans. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You take care of me, I take care of you. You did for me, I'm going to do for you. That's just the way that the system works. That's the way that we understand that it's been this way our entire life. This is the kind of radical hospitality that Jesus is invited, inviting us into. Spend a lifetime doing for those who can never return the favor. Spend a lifetime. Build your life around expecting nothing in return. And then see where the reward is. I believe in maintaining boundaries. And I know from personal experience, I can tell you much of this from personal experience, that when you really open up your church or you really open up your life, but we could talk more specifically because your life's a little bit different, but your church, things change. You have to have more safety and security. You have to pay attention to what's going on around you. Addiction ministry, some of the things that I'm talking about that I've worked, worked in in the past, it can get very messy and it can change the culture of your church. Your nice, loving, perfect atmosphere and environment that you've become so accustomed to throughout the course of your life, I can promise you, when you invite the outsider in the way that Jesus did, everything changes and it makes us uncomfortable and that's okay. If the disciples were uncomfortable and they were literally following Jesus, it's okay for us to feel uncomfortable. But that doesn't make it any less necessary 
or any less biblical regarding the direction that Jesus is sending us. So what if we have an open door, generally loving posture toward someone who's committed a felony, toward the addict, toward the poor, toward that person with a damaged reputation, toward the weak, toward the vulnerable. And you may assume I can help change that person. But maybe that person can help change you at the same time. Mother Teresa had this saying, and I guess it was just her obsession throughout her life with working with the poor. But she would often say that whenever I see the poor, I see Jesus. And some of you know that because you've had that experience before. If you haven't had that experience, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. Go where Jesus went, do what Jesus did. It's that simple. Go where Jesus went, do what Jesus did. Last, inviting the outsider does provide the reward that matters. Okay, so this reward of receiving, or this blessing of receiving nothing in return, all right? It's actually a wonderful, amazing, life transforming gift. But also there's this gift that changes everything, the reward that does matter. The second part of verse 14 says this, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You will be repaid. It's the exact same thing that we saw in Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats. This is just a parallel passage to what's going on there. It's just, if you look at other parables, Jesus says these kinds of things again and again and again. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Simply put, it's the heavenly reward for those who are found in Jesus. I believe many of us believe in a heavenly reward because we're good people. And you may be a wonderful person or because we prayed a prayer that we never followed up on many years ago. But are we really paying attention to the people around us? And, you know, let's just start really, really small and really simple, all right? Before you're ready to open up your home or your business or invite a bunch of people you don't know to a park or anything like that, just open your eyes and recognize the people around you. Just open your eyes and recognize the woman at the McDonald's that's in the drive-thru line at McDonald's, the grocery cashier that takes your money, the person at the gas station. When you start paying attention and deliberately living into these moments, you're starting. But what are we doing instead? Honey, I'll be there in just a second. Slip and change through really, really fast. On our phones, texting whenever we're getting, not paying attention to anything. And we've got this mission field of people everywhere around us that we have the opportunity to engage in. So when we identify with Jesus, what are we really identifying with? This is a big question. It's like a really, really important question. When we identify with Jesus, the Son of God, what are we really 
identifying with. The Jesus that I self-identify with came for the lost. And in the process is making disciples and showing them this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to do it. And they must have been taking notes. They must have known because then they went and did it and transformed the world. Broken people. I could give you a list. You want a list? The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the tax collectors and the Pharisees, the prostitute at Simon's house, the dying thief on the cross, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman at the well, the demon-possessed, lepers, Gentiles, shepherds, the rich, the poor, brokenhearted of all kinds. In the presence of our Savior. And we look people over and don't even give them a second chance if they don't look like us. If they're of a different political party, if they have a different view on us with vaccinations, give me a break. People are going to hell. People are hurting. And we're getting lost in this mess. Jesus would have never been lost in this mess, and he would have reprimanded the disciples if they would have been. Maybe we identify with a safe Jesus, the Jesus of like-minded church fellowship, just around people like us, the Jesus of insider language, the Jesus of simple and safe church programs, the Jesus of predictable outcomes, and I, the, the Jesus that takes no risks. And I would make the argument that this is no Jesus at all. Jesus came for the outsider. Jesus understood the outsider. When Jesus provides this teaching, he is observing how all the guests at this party are choosing their place of honor. He then ceases on a moment and he gives a lesson. And ultimately, this is what he is saying. Approach those who are different from you with a posture of humility, expecting nothing in return, nothing in return. Nobody's around the corner looking at how, how good you are and how holy you are and how spiritual you are, spiritual you are so they can tell other people. Expect nothing in return. When you do this, you will show who I am, Jesus, in human flesh today, and you will reap the heavenly reward. So what this parable is, that's all it is. So your posture toward people outside of this church matters. Your attitude toward people outside of this church matters. You see, when our mission to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus, that's who we are, and that's who we're becoming more day by day. When our mission is geared toward outsiders, this is the, this is the beautiful part. Everything on the inside naturally becomes healthier. Everything. When our hearts are geared, when our church is geared toward the least of these, everything on the inside of the church, the way we do ministry, 
the way our relationships are, our church fellowship. You know, I, notice, I'm not saying these things aren't important because they mean everything. But what we're talking about whenever we're actually going to the outsiders, that is discipleship. Okay, it may not be discipleship in a book in which we're sitting and studying, but that is discipleship in its most genuine form. So how does it make our church healthier? Love for the sinner creates a deeper prayer life. It creates a deeper and greater humility, which we all must have. And please understand, as I, as I call us out today, I am at the center of any kind of criticism that I could possibly offer out. Please understand that. But number two, a heart of welcome to the outsider in our life as a church fosters deeper relationships and I believe even more genuine worship, more heartfelt worship. Compassion toward broken people yields to better outreach and even safer environments of more vulnerability to talk about the hard things, to examine who we really are. Now, I'm not asking you to change your political viewpoints unless Jesus is calling you to do that. I'm not asking you to be a different person to your kids. I'm asking you, where is your heart in this position? You know, look at your last week or your last month. You know, look at that time period. And just ask yourself the question. It's not as us as a church, it's just you as an individual. Am I paying attention? So I'm gonna tell you something. When we, and, and I think we're getting, we're in the process of this, but when we make this shift as individuals in our lives, and we all have some work to do, gospel transformation is going to happen in a way that it's never happened before. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we, we thank you for, for loving us, for taking care of us, for, for providing for us. And Father, it's the, it's the passion of my heart. And I think the majority of the people in this church that know me know this. It's the passion of my heart to follow you and, and to, Father, not stay in comfortable places because I really, really enjoy those comfortable places. And God, I pray that you take me and our church family here. And God, you just destroy us from the inside so that we see others, so that we love others, and so that we are transformed into the way Jesus practiced love for neighbor and genuine hospitality toward others. We know in his ministry that the religious people scoffed, that people could not understand his methods or why he did it the way that he did it. But God, I pray that you break us open and that you send us into, into risk taking mission-oriented territory that changes our lives. 
We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.